Well, good morning, Go Church. I'm excited and I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach to you this morning. As Bevan said a couple of weeks ago, um, I consider it a privilege, an honor, and an absolute responsibility. Thank you, Sam. I have to admit, though, um, today I'm really a little more amped up than usual because this is, this is no ordinary sermon, and I've honestly been waiting quite a long time to share what I have to share today. <clears throat> but I've got to take a drink first. <clears throat> For the past six months, my dad, our lead pastor, has been sharing his heart and his call uh, to leave Go Church Ridgefield and to plant on the eastern edge of the Portland metro area. And during that time, it has been shared that depending on the church vote, uh, the pastor elder team feels that I may be the man that God has uh, to, f- to fulfill that role of, of, of lead pastor. And up until this moment, I really haven't shared much at all. I've been pretty silent. And I know a lot of you are are wondering what I'm thinking. And so today I'm excited to tell you that I will be be addressing my heart and call to be the lead pastor of this church should your vote be in my favor. However, that is certainly not all I will be talking about today. I'm sure that you've seen that in, uh, in the bulletin, the title of the sermon is Discerning the Will of God. And that is because I want to do more than simply share my own story with you today, because it is my personal conviction that the pulpit always should be used to speak the word of God in a way that changes lives. And so this morning, as I walk you through my own experience in discerning the will of God for my life in this, in this critical area, at this crossroads in my life, um, I will also be teaching you from Scripture how you can discern the will of God in your life. The story that I have to share this morning uh, started, it developed over the course of, a, of about the last eight years, and there was a process that the Lord walked me through in discerning His will at this crossroads in my life. So as I walk you through these steps that I personally took to discern the will of God, I will be showing you from Scripture why it will be important for you to take these steps as well. Now, as much as we preachers love to use three points, the uh, process of discerning the will of God is actually a five-step process. So if you want to cheat and fill in your bulletin early, I know there's some cheaters out there that like to, oh, they said I've got to fill that in. So here we go. I'm going to give you a chance right now. So here are the five steps to discerning the will of God in your life. Seek, wait, apply, listen, and jump. That's seek, wait, apply, listen, And lastly, jump. Amazingly, these five points form the acrostic of swalge, but since that acrostic is terrible, (laughs) I would just recommend, you know, remembering the five words. Don't go with the acrostic. Anyway, before we go on, uh, I would like to clarify what I mean and don't mean by the will of God, because here's the thing. You don't need to take these five steps to discern that the will of God for you to share the gospel and go preach the good news. I don't need a sermon for that. The Bible already perfectly reveals what God's larger will is, both for the world and the church at large. What I am talking about today are those huge, significant moments in your life that God, where where you're just not sure what God may want you to do. Talking about the big decisions, like getting married, moving, getting involved in a particular ministry, choosing a workplace, or in my case, whether or not God is calling me to be the lead pastor of this church when my dad leaves. That said, the first step to discerning the will of God in your life is to seek. I'm not talking about seeking answers, and I'm not talking about seeking yourself or some other person in your life. I am talking about seeking God. When I was 13 years old, the Lord grabbed a hold of my heart and called me to be a pastor. 
was an undeniable experience for me. Um, the Holy Spirit burned my heart and just burdened me, and I knew that God was speaking. But there's also always been this question in my life as to whether, you know, what kind of pastor would I become? What would that look like? And one thing that I was sure of is when I was called to be a pastor, I was also called to preach the Word of God. Uh, but other than that, I had a lot of questions. About eight years ago, I found myself thinking a lot about my future and whether or not God is, was calling me to be a church planner, just like my dad. So the question started stirring in my heart about whether or not I was also made to do that, what my future in ministry would look like. And so I began to seek God. In the process of seeking God, I did four things that you will also want to do when you are seeking God. Prioritize purity, put on a kingdom perspective, pursue prayer, and pour over scripture. As I sought God about my future in ministry, the first thing I did was to prioritize purity. In Matthew 5 eight, Jesus flat out says that the pure in heart will see God. Now we could talk about what purity means and what it doesn't mean for a long time, but let's just today, let's just consider the converse of that statement. The impure in heart will not see God. I believe this is more of a statement about how we live than it is about our identity before God. And the simple truth is that when our hearts are impure before God, we can't see him clearly. I'm not saying that can't change in the moment when we repent as believers, but if you're stuck in sexual sin and you feel double-minded, then good luck hearing from God. Knowing that the first thing I did and the first thing you will want to do when you're seeking God is to prioritize purity. After I prioritized purity, I put on a kingdom perspective. The Bible's full of examples regarding this principle, but my favorite one is in Mark 10, 17 through 22. That's Mark 10, 17 through 22. Let's go ahead and read that. As he was setting out on a journey, this is Jesus, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these things from my youth. Really? Um, really? Anyway, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Here's the connection. Like the man in the story, we too can come running up to Jesus with good intentions, but when it comes right down to it, we can't listen to what he has to say when his kingdom isn't first in our lives. You see, if you want to hear what God has to say, you'll need to already be thinking about what he's thinking about. You'll need to care about what he cares about. You'll need to actually be more invested in God's kingdom than your own. If you want to hear God's will for your life, then you'll need to adjust your spiritual radio to the right frequency. And when it comes to God, he only has one radio channel, and it's all about his kingdom. When your heart seeks for the lost to be found, for the church to be discipled, and for God's kingdom to be advanced, that's when God will reveal his will to you. If all you think about is your finances, your hobby, your work, fill in the blank, any number of other things, then all you're going to hear is static because you're on the wrong channel. 
So if you discern, if you desire to discern the will of God in your life, then you must first seek God. And when you seek him, make sure to put on a kingdom perspective. The third step in seeking God is to pursue prayer. You may have a pure heart and a kingdom perspective, but if you aren't making time to connect with God, then how are you going to hear anything he's saying? When I was seeking the Lord and trying to discern his will for my life, I made space to connect with God. That's what the early church did in the book of Acts right before Pentecost. They prayed their guts out in the upper room as they sought the Lord on his next move. Now, I'm not talking about taking five minutes before your day starts to say a quick prayer or two. I'm talking about fervent prayer. I'm talking about the kind of prayer that might go on for hours, the kind of prayer that might even involve fasting from something. If you want to discern the will of God for your life right now, then get serious about prayer because you can't seek God without it. Let me give you an example to show you just how true that is. Imagine for a second a married couple who is well-rooted in their community, and one day before they kind of leave for, for work, part ways, the husband says to the wife, he says, I've been thinking, I really feel like we should move across the country. And before his wife even has time to say anything or express anything in return to that, he's out the door and he's in his car and he drove away and he's at work. He gets back home from work. They still don't address it. They don't come back to it. Um, they just kind of go, go to the different recreational activities during the night. And then that goes on for, for months. And it, it's never brought up again. Two months later, when the U-Haul truck has been reserved and all the necessary preparations have been made, to his shock and surprise, the husband finds out his wife is not on board with the move. Now, I, I guarantee that anyone in this room could, could probably identify that the problem to the story is the sheer lack of communication. But the less than obvious truth that we need to consider is that sometimes we all act exactly like the husband does in the story when it comes to how we pray. Sometimes all we do is barely open up the conversation with God before moving on with life. Think back to the early church in Acts for a moment. I don't have time to show you the math today, but the disciples were holed up and praying day and night for like 10 days straight before Pentecost. During Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out and 3,000 souls were saved. That's what it says when Peter preached his first recorded sermon. My point is, who knows what might have happened had the disciples pray not prayed like that. Now, I'm not telling anyone that they need to pray for 10 days straight. Don't hear me saying that necessarily. But what I am telling you is that if you desire to discern the will of God in your life, then you'd better make time in your schedule to pursue serious prayer. The fourth and probably most important step that I took in seeking God is to pour over Scripture. Without Scripture... Everything I have mentioned this far would fail. Without Scripture, you may, be, you may be prioritizing your idea of purity, but you're probably not prioritizing God's idea of purity. Without Scripture, you can make up what a kingdom perspective is. Without Scripture, you can pursue prayer with all the wrong reasons and wrong motives. Without Scripture, discerning the will of God is very dangerous, actually. God's Word is the foundation of truth. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says it this way. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And then he says this. 
Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may, what? You may discern what is the pleasing and good and perfect will of God. I submit to you that you cannot be transformed by the renewing of your mind without the word of God. You can't do it. It's the one thing we have left that does not conform to this age. And in verse 2, it's clear that it's only possible if we refuse to conform and and our ability to transform that we can discern what the will of God is in our lives. That said, God can still speak through his Holy Spirit in your heart if you're a believer. He can still use other people to speak for him. And I even believe there are times when God could use an audible voice in your life. But the key rule of thumb here is that the message you're hearing, if it's, if it's not in line with Scripture, then it isn't God speaking. We must be careful to remember 1 John 4, 1, which says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, while all of that is extremely important to remember, pouring over the Word of God is also a great thing to do because God often speaks directly to us through what he's already said. That's exactly what happened to me. I remember one sunny morning I was praying on my knees with the door shut, seeking God about this, seeking God about my future in ministry, about whether I was supposed to be a church planner. And I was asking God, Lord, how do I fit into this picture you're painting? How do I fit? Am I going to be like my dad? Am I going to be this serial church planner that, you know, I take a breath and I plant a church, take another breath, plant another church? Am I going to be like that or am I going to be somebody else? <laughs> that was what I was seeking God about. And it was then that I decided to open up my Bible to see if I could get any direction from God. And I turned to First Chronicles 22, which is the passage I'm going to share with you this morning. Now, before we read... I I do want to share that there is one thing God kept placing on my heart as I read this passage when I read it, and that is that David represents my father and Solomon represents me. So with that in mind, let's read it together. Starting with verse 1, 1 Chronicles 22. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. So David gave orders to gather the resident aliens that were in the land of Israel, and he appointed stone cutters to cut finished stones for building God's house. David supplied a great deal of iron to make nails for the doors of the gates and for fittings, together with an immeasurable quantity of bronze and innumerable cedar logs, because the Sidonians and Tyrians had brought a large quantity of cedar logs to David. Then in verse 5, David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced. And the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly great and famous and glorious in all the lands. Therefore, I will make provisions for it. So David made lavish preparations for it before his death. Then he summoned his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. My son, David said to Solomon, it was in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, but the word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and waged great wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you've shed so much blood on the ground before me, but a son will be born to you. He will be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name will be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever." 
In verse 11, now, my son, may the Lord be with you and may you succeed in building the house of the Lord your God as he said about you. Above all, may the Lord give you insight and understanding when he puts you in charge of Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will succeed if you carefully follow the statutes and ordinances that the Lord has commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Notice, I have taken great pains to provide for the house of the Lord. 3,775 tons of gold, 37,750 tons of silver and bronze and iron that can't be weighed because there's so much of it. I have also provided timber and stone, but you will need to add more to them. You also have many workers, stone cutters, masons, carpenters, and people skilled in every kind of work in gold, silver, bronze, and iron beyond number. Now begin the work, and may the Lord be with you. Then David ordered all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon. The Lord your God is with you, isn't he? And hasn't he given you rest on every side? For he has handed the land's inhabitants over to me, and the land has been subdued before the Lord and his people. Now determine in your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Get started building the Lord God's sanctuary so that you may bring the ark of the Lord's covenant and the holy articles of God to the temple that is to be built for the name of the Lord. Now, I realize that some of you are like, okay, uh, what does that have to do with anything in the sermon? We will get there. We will get there, I promise you. But uh, before, before I say anything else, I, I just, over and over again, I read that. I read that over and over again, and I did have a lot of questions myself, but I had a strong sense that the Lord was speaking to me. And the general message I felt like I did understand at the time is that God has designed me to build upon what my father started. That my father was a great leader like David who follows after God's heart and that I was young and inexperienced. I also understood the ways in which this passage didn't apply to my life. The people of God no longer function as a theocracy. My dad and I aren't kings. Uh, he's not a man of war. Last time I checked, he hasn't shed any blood. Um, <laughs> but all of that aside, in a practical sense, I really didn't know what to do with any of this at the time because I'd just gotten married. I was working full time at a fast food restaurant, and I just started college. Um, so my life really wasn't lining up with what God was revealing. And when that happens, it most likely means that God is leading us into the next step of discerning his will, which is to wait. The reality is that when God speaks, it often has less to do with the present than it does with the future. Consider the example of Abraham. He was 75 years old when God made a promise to him that he would be the father of many nations. He was 100 years old when Sarah actually gave birth to Isaac. So when you do the math, that's 25 years that Abraham just kind of had to wait to see that any, if this was going to happen or not. 25 years is a long time. 25 years ago, it was 1998. Google was founded in 1998. Internet blogs started in 1998. Britney Spears still had a full head of hair in 1998. Now, in your case, it may not be 25 years, but if you desire to discern the will of God for your life, just remember that waiting is really all a part of it. In my case, the Lord has had me waiting for quite some time, but the amazing things that God has done in my life for the past eight years are simply astounding. You see, I believe the Lord has been preparing me for just such a time as this. Over time, I've gone from fast food worker to worship leader to pastor of worship and discipleship, and some of you have watched that and what the Lord has been doing in my life, and I don't say that at all 
to communicate that, that I'm better than anyone or to, to brag, but to communicate just how important waiting is when it comes to discerning the will of God. What if I had tried to get out ahead of God any, normal, any number of years ago? Well, frankly, I, I don't really like to think about that. I don't want to know the answer to that. But this is our tendency as humans. When God is not giving us an answer, we try to go ahead and make one up for him. When things aren't making sense, we try to guess and connect the dots. But doing so can really have disastrous consequences. A couple of years ago, I received a phone call from an old friend of my dad's and also an old friend of mine uh, back at the church he planted in Missouri. He told me that they were looking for a worship pastor. was not expecting this call. He said, if I just submit my resume, that, that I'd be up at the top, that I'd be one of the top candidates for their search process. At the time, the pay was probably going to be better than what I was making. Uh, we were living in an apartment with a growing family, and I really considered it, and I went ahead and turned in my resume. And Caroline and I really started to seek the Lord. But I took my, I took my resume out. I, I removed myself cons- from consideration. And I said no, because I felt that this was not the fulfillment of First Chronicles 22 in my life. Little did I know if I had waited just a day later, they would have called me to move forward with the job. To think that I was that close to being 2,000 miles away from God's will for my life is a scary thought. Today, I actually see the entire story as a good example of a test in my life. And thankfully, with God's help, I passed. But unfortunately, that really wasn't the case with Abraham. If you remember the story, he and Sarah actually failed to wait on God. And Abraham had a son with Sarah's female servant. But the thing is, God never blessed him as the son of promise. My point is, if you want to discern the will of God in your life, you'll probably have some waiting to do. And if you try to get out ahead of God, you won't like the results. After I said no to the opportunity in Missouri, a lot of circumstances started to change with the church and in my life. I started leading and organizing set up and tear down uh, go groups. I started leading our men's ministry and I started preaching and the list of people that God was using me to disciple personally grew. It was as if God was showing me that I had made the right choice. During this time of growth in my life is when my dad really started talking to me about finding someone who could carry the baton forward with Go Richfield. And if you know my dad, you know he wears it all on his sleeve and he's a verbal processor. And, uh, you know, I'm one of the few people that he can, he can do that with. You know, I can ride the roller coaster with him, but man, was it a roller coaster. Whew. But I can remember the many conversations we had in his truck as he would explain a particular pastor he had in mind that might, might fill that role, might be a good fit, might not be. And I, I listened and I offered feedback. But in the back of my mind, I couldn't help but feel inside that something was just a little off and that maybe the pastor he was looking for was sitting right next to him. But I kept silent. During that time, as everything started coming together, I was ready to take the next step in asserting the will of God, which is to apply. What I mean by apply is that I started to make connections uh, between my life and the present and what God had already spoken to me eight years ago. As I began to do this, one day, my dad wanted to talk. And I could tell it was something big, but I, I just didn't know what it was. So I came over to his house, and he proceeded to tell me that he really was starting to believe that I might be... Um, the man that God has in mind to take this thing forward. 
as the next lead pastor. And to hear that uh, really rocked my world. And immediately I, I returned to studying First Chronicles 22 in my Bible with a burning passion. And in the weeks and months that followed, God began to give me insight into what this passage really means for this church and my calling. The first thing that the Lord showed me is that you as Go Church Ridgefield are the temple that God is calling me to build. The idea of Solomon building a temple is really the main context of this passage, and we see direct references to the temple of God, the house of God, in verses 5, 11, uh, and 19, and more verses, but we'll hone in on 5, 11, and 19. Let's go ahead and, and read those verses now, starting with verse 5 of 1 Chronicles 22. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly great and famous and glorious in all the lands. Verse 11, Now, my son, may the Lord be with you, and may you succeed in building the house of the Lord your God. And then verse 19, Now determine in your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Get started building the Lord God's sanctuary. The first thing that the Lord showed me through that is, as I said, that God has, has he's called me to build you as the church. And when I began seeking God about what all of this could mean, I had a question. That question is this. How is this church like the temple? How is this church like the temple? I believe God showed me his answer in 2 Peter 2, 5, which says, As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves, as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here's the connection. While we may not be a physical temple anymore, we are a spiritual one. The Word of God says that we as believers are like living stones coming together to build the house of God. That's what we just read. So in one sense, that is the temple that I believe the Lord is calling me to build. You, the local church, the house of God. Now there is another way in which I believe this idea of temple building may very well apply, and that is the idea that in his timing, God may use me to lead this church to build a permanent location. But before I say anything else, I want you to know what that means and what that doesn't mean. What that doesn't mean is that I have all the answers about where and when and how we should build right now. What it does mean is that I will continue to seek the Lord and his will in this direction while I do everything in my power to look at every opportunity that comes our way. I know that many of you have given to the building fund with a desire that one day this church would, be a, you know, would have a permanent home in this community. And I want you to know that not only have Caroline and I personally given to that fund as well, but that we share in your desire and heart to one day have a building, that it would one day become a reality. After God helped me make sense of this idea of the church as the temple he is calling me to build, he started to reveal other ways in which the text applies as well. The next section of the passage we will focus in on today is again, verse 5, and after that, verse 14. Again, that's 1 Chronicles 22, verse 5, and verse 14. So verse 5, David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly great and famous and glorious in all the lands. And then here's the part where I want you to focus in on this time. It says, Therefore, I will make provision for it. So David made lavish preparations for it before his death. And then verse 14 says, Notice, I have taken great pains to provide for the house of the Lord. 
So the second application of this chapter is that God has used my dad to make lavish preparations for the church and the church's future in three main ways. First, God has given us a vision. When it was time for Solomon to build the temple, he built on his father's plans. He didn't rewrite the blueprints. He, he didn't make changes to the supply chain, and he didn't alter the vision. One of the things, one of the most important things that I want you to know today is that should I become your lead pastor, I'm not going to be changing the vision. I'm not going to be changing the vision my dad had for this church. As a matter of fact, the vision and the mission for this church is something that I have truly grown to love. I want to be crystal clear that should I become your lead pastor, our mission of, as a church is still going to be connecting community with Christ. Our discipleship strategy will still be loving God, loving each other, loving everyone uh, through worshiping, sharing, learning, blessing, and missioneering. Our why will still be because of love. Like Solomon, I don't believe it is my job to change any of that. I believe that's the vision that God has given this church. But also like Solomon, I believe that God has called me to make that vision more of a reality than it ever has been. As for what that actually means, I'm preparing another sermon on the specifics of what I believe God has for the future of this church. And I plan on sharing that in January again, if you vote me to be your next lead pastor. That said, I want to take a moment just to say that if any of you have any questions or you want to talk, please shoot me a quick email, and I would love to meet you one-on-one -on -one for coffee. My email address should be all over the back of your bulletin. But back to the main point. David made preparations for the temple to be awesome before Solomon ever built it. It was because of that preparation that the building of the temple succeeded. In the same way, I believe that God has used my dad to prepare the church for an awesome future by providing us with an amazing vision. And I truly believe that if this church really got a hold of the vision that's already in place for it, we could change Ridgefield. We could change the Northwest. We could change the world. But beyond our vision, God has also made preparations for the future of this church by giving us resources. Frankly, the financial blessing of this church being five years old is absolutely astounding. I believe that God is in the process of preparing this church to do some really wonderful and great things that go beyond ourselves. Currently, we actually exceed our budget needs, and we are able to save back for future possibilities every month. One thing that has been talked about already that really I have a huge heart for is for this church to become like the Church of Antioch, serving as a, a hub of support for the other church plants around the, the Portland area, the greater Portland area. Just to put that in perspective, we are talking about our church getting to have a significant role in seeing an exponential amount of people saved, baptized, and discipled. If that doesn't excite you, if that doesn't light your fire a little bit, then you may need to check on those priorities, make sure they're straight. But in order to be that kind of a church, we're going to need a substantial amount of resources. Oh, wait. That's exactly what God has been providing us with. The third way in which God used my father to make lavish preparations for the church's futures and giving the church leaders, giving the church leaders. Seriously, God has brought the most amazing people to this church. There are so many of you that have a deep and mature walk with Christ and the amount of exceptional leaders that we have here is going to mean powerful things for our future. 
This is true when it comes to our team of pastors who serve this church. This is true when it comes to the individuals in this church body. I want to invite you to look back at verse 17 in our passage today. Verse 17. It says, Then David ordered all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon. Now, I'm not saying that anybody is ordering you to help me. But what I am saying is that no pastor can lead any church well without the support and leadership of others. Thankfully, God has provided abundantly in that area. So in the same way that God used David, he has made lavish preparations for the future of this church through my father in the areas of vision, resources, and leadership. So to put it all in a nutshell, I have come to truly believe that this was God's answer all along to my question about my role in church planting and my future in ministry. I am called to be like Solomon and to build upon my, what my father started. This church is the temple that God has called me to build, and the preparations that God has used my father to make will serve as the bedrock for an amazing future here at Go Church Richfield. But I want to zoom out. I want to zoom back out again. I want to put the focus back on you in this whole process of discerning the will of God in your life. I've explained my whole story about how I came to apply what I believe God spoke to me with the circumstances in my life, but what about you? When is it time to apply? Meaning, if you believe God has shown you his direction in your life in one way or another, when is it time to start drawing connections between the actual events in your life and what God has already said? To answer that question, I'd like to turn to the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37, verses 5 through 8. This is the very beginning of Joseph's story when God gave him a dream and revealed his will for Joseph's life. Let's read it together. Moses writes, again, this is chapter 7, starting with verse 5. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. <laughs> Are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Now, while Joseph may have had that dream, it sure didn't have any application in Joseph's life for quite some time, if you think about it. He was thrown into a pit and sold into slavery. He was falsely accused of adultery, and he was put in jail. He then he started interpreting dreams in Egypt. Okay, then he was established and exalted and put in a position of leadership. But during all of that, the dream that Joseph had so long ago was still nothing more than a dream. But all of a sudden, in chapter 42, Joseph's brothers were told to go to Egypt because of the famine and to get grain. And they ran into Joseph, who was now in charge of the entire country. And then in verse 6 of chapter 42, it says his brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. In a way that no one could have predicted, God's revealed will for Joseph's life was fulfilled in that moment. The story of Joseph teaches us that the process of applying God's will in your life is more about what God himself will make obvious than it is about what you can do on your own. If God is really speaking in your life, then you can be sure that he won't let his words go to waste. If you wait on his timing when the right moment comes, you won't miss it. 
When it comes to discerning the will of God in your life, you'll need to seek God. You'll need to wait on his timing. You'll need to apply what he has said. But you'll also need to take the next step, which is to listen. In this case, I am talking about listening to wise counsel. Now, in some ways, this is a painful step, but it is also extremely important. When I came to an understanding about what I thought 1 Chronicles 22 might mean, I made sure to talk with people in my life that I know will tell me something I don't want to hear if I need to hear it. People that aren't afraid to tell me when I'm off or when I need to adjust my thinking. In this case, I have felt tremendous support and affirmation in all of this, but I want you to know that that's, that's not always the case. That's not how it always works out. Sometimes when you humble yourself enough to listen to what others think, they may say some things that sting. But in the end, they're saving you from a whole lot of pain. This step's like a fail-safe. It's like a, a fuse in an electrical circuit. It catches potential problems early, and it minimizes the damage. Skipping this step is a dangerous game. The reality is, when Christians get married to the wrong person, when they move when they shouldn't move, when they take jobs that they shouldn't take, it's almost never because they, they didn't think that that's what God was leading them to do. The problem is that they refuse to properly listen to wise counsel that God placed in their lives. Proverbs 12, 15 says it this way, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. So, when you're at a crossroads in your life and you believe that God has revealed his will to you and you see how it applies to your life, then you need to do a heart check. And the rule of thumb here is, if you ever get so committed to what you believe God is saying that you become fearful, that you become scared to listen to the thoughts and input of trusted counselors in your life, then you are headed for trouble. If you've listened to wise counsel and you're still getting a green light, then the final step is to jump. This is the point in the process when you actually put yourself out there, take action, and pursue God's will. Today, Sharing my story with you publicly is me jumping. It's me doing this step right now. The hardest part about jumping is that there's no going back. When you jump off a ledge into a river, you can't come back to the ledge without hitting the water. When you jump out of a plane, you can't fly back into the plane. So that's the, way, that's the reason that I chose the word jump to communicate this step. Perhaps the hardest part about jumping is that you're never going to be able to achieve absolute certainty. Because in the end, when it comes to discerning the will of God in your life, jumping is an act of faith. But that is precisely what makes jumping such a thrill. Church, I want you to know that I am delighted and I am excited to take this jump before you here today. I can't know anything for certain. But I believe I have discerned what God's will is for my life at this point, and I am acting on it. The rest falls in your hands and with your vote. But before I close today, I want to talk about another kind of jump you may need to take if you're here today. Because maybe you've heard all this and you're like, okay, this has been a great family meeting, but uh, can, are we talking about me? or <laughs> Yes. Yes, because there's another kind of jump that, that you may need to take if you don't know Jesus and you're here today. What I want to tell you is that Jesus, God in the flesh, came down and he died on the cross for your sins. 
that he made a way for you to know him. It's incredible, really, that God humbled himself that much. (laughs) He took on a, a Roman torture device for you, for me, for our sins. What I want to tell you is that you're never going to be completely certain about Jesus. You're never going to be absolutely certain. You're never going to be able to empirically prove to someone that Jesus is real, that he saved you. It's a, you're going to have to take a jump. And maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe that's why God has you here today. Because he wants to speak yet again in your life to tell you, you need to take this jump. You need to come to me. Like a kid jumping to his dad, you know, in a pool. You know, a little kid just jumping into his dad's arms. Maybe God is calling you to jump into his arms. I want to give you a moment to do that today. So let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer. Lord, maybe there's somebody here today who has heard this whole gospel thing, has heard about you, that you've saved them from their sins, but they just wanted something a little more. They just wanted you to do one more thing. Lord, show that person right now in this moment that it's not time for you to do something else. It's time for them to act. It's time for them to jump. It's time for them to place their faith in who you are because they're never going to be absolutely certain. So, Lord, I pray for such a one that right now they would place their faith in the name of Jesus and what you've done and how you've saved. That They would say, I believe. I believe today. I believe in you, Jesus. Come and do my life and change me from the inside out. It starts today. I'm jumping. Lord, I pray for such a one today. And Lord, I also pray for those of us in this room who do know you, who did take that initial jump out of the plane and trusted in you as the parachute that would keep us from falling. Lord, that you would help us all discern your will in our lives. Again, not that your will is to, of course, share the gospel and preach the good news. We know that. But when it comes to those moments in our lives, maybe some are here today that are just facing one of those moments right now, big moments. Lord, you didn't design us not to pray to you, not to ask you to weigh in. You're more personal than that. You're living, you're active. And so I pray that you would help us all in taking these steps to discern your will. And I also pray for the future of this church that you would guide it, that you would have your way, that you would have your will, and that you alone would be glorified. Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.